RPC Radio. Hello, and welcome to Money Covered, a podcast from RPC aimed at those dealing with complaints and claims in the financial services sector. I'm Ash Daniels, the host of this podcast, and each month we'll discuss topical issues of relevance to those dealing with complaints and claims against FCA-regulated entities, TPR-regulated entities, as well as offshore professionals and accountants. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening, thank you for joining us today. So I'm joined by Matt Watson. Uh, Welcome back to Matt, and thank you for joining me today. Hi Ash, thanks for having me on again. Now, you're our team's resident DNO expert, so I couldn't really get you on to talk about anything else. Um, and to start on a nice, cheery, light mood, there's been uh, some recent developments, which I will pick your brains on later on. But first of all, um, we're seeing sort of a lot more insolvencies at the moment. I think you'd have to be living under a rock to have not heard about the cost of living crisis, problems with the markets. Um and therefore the subsequent increase in insolvencies. Um, So as a result of that, it's a rather broad question, but are we seeing an increase in claims against directors and officers as a result of the increase in the insolvencies? Or sort of do you think we're going to if we're not quite yet? Well, you're you're absolutely right, Ash, in terms of, um, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I think it's probably my my role today to to give a bit of an overview as to what, what we're seeing, what we expect to see in terms of, claims against uh, directors and officers. Um, we've obviously had a, a tricky situation, to say the least, in terms of the economic downturn and the insolvency statistics as of the last couple of months don't either paint a particular rosy picture. So no, don't make for comforting reading, do they, for, uh, for no, Thursday exactly. afternoon? They've, uh, they're, they're quite sobering reading. So we've seen the end of 2022, had similar number of insolvencies as the uh, during the recession in 2008 2009 so that sort of gives a bit of a picture as to where we are yeah it's, it's not looking good at the moment and, and we'll try and keep it upbeat it's we nice, will we will <laughs> but you know we can only do so much with the material um so speaking of insolvencies uh, there was a recent supreme court decision and i'm probably about to butcher the summer of this so you can swoop in and save me at the end but um but again, the name of which is escaping, but it effectively seemed to widen the duty of directors to also consider creditors, which, you know, it, on the sort of face of it, it isn't particularly concerning, but that's the case even when a company is solvent. Um, so like I said, I probably butchered that explanation, Matt, so I'll pass over to you no, to give a good... No, I, I think um, it's, it's a case that's been keeping the market... Um, interested in terms of its implications and it came out towards the end of last year and to give its full name it's BTI 2014 LLC um and uh, Sequina SA and it's uh that, that's a mouthful in itself so I was about to say, I feel hopefully, hopefully we've got a recording it. of that <laughs> but it was it, it went all the way to the Supreme Court so um lots of judicial consideration of as you say this key issue of what duty directors owe to creditors when a company is in financial difficulties. So the case in itself, in a nutshell, involved the directors of a company um, making a very large dividend payment to its own shareholder, whilst the company at the time did have some long-term liabilities. But it was up for debate whether those liabilities had an impact on its solvency. The company then goes into administration a number of years later, and the claimant, who is an assignee of a claim against the directors, alleged that that 
dividend payment should never have been made on the basis that the company was in financial difficulties. So what the court had to do is grapple with this idea as to when as a director, you start needing to think about the duties you owe to the creditors. Because as I'm sure everyone knows listening, the, the, the primary duty of a director as set out in statute and their fiduciary duties is to promote the success of the company. So that's one balancing act. But then on the other side, you've got this potentially competing interest as to when you start looking out for the interests of the creditors. So you can see it, it, it brings up a, a quite a, quite a tricky situation, especially um, when it's so topical at the moment of companies facing financial difficulties. And what the court decided is that there will be what the the judiciary referred to as a sliding scale, which is I'm sure Ash you'll know is a, a a phrase we like to see a lot in um, our sort of ju- judicial decisions across across all sorts of. Um, uh, not just DNA, but this sliding scale idea in terms of when you need to start thinking about the interests of the creditors. And, and the court said the greater the risk of insolvency, the more directors should take interests of creditors into account. And that, they said, did not mean that the duty is set out in Section 172 of the 2006 Companies Act um, was was effectively changed. It just meant it had to be read in line with the duty to promote the success of the company in terms of you'd be needing to think about the duties you owed to the wider audience. So the case has has potentially left open a bit of a, an ongoing question as to when a company would be considered as um, going into financial difficulties. And the courts left it as where there's a degree of inevitability that the company really cannot recover from the financial difficulties it faces. But I'm sure everyone listening will be thinking, well, who decides when a company's in financial difficulties? There's a there's an air of subjectivity there in terms of one person may say the company just needed another good break or was close to getting back on its feet. And someone else may say, oh no, it's doomed to failure. They should have been thinking about duties owed to creditors earlier. Exactly. It's quite ambiguous in this Absolutely. very nature to have a sliding scale. Absolutely. And unfortunately, um, unfortunately, if you're uh, a lawyer, you sometimes like the grey areas because that's <laughs> right for right for disputes and litigation. But it, it is a classic case of there being a grey area as to this, this key issue as to when there's this uh, air of inevitability that a company would not be able to recover. So I think in terms of where that leaves us for wide implications is we're we're going to start i anticipate seeing this issue coming up and coming to uh, focus as as unfortunately we see perhaps more sme sized businesses struggling and um, increased uh, insolvencies over the next 6 12 months and there's going to be potential litigation at foot as to when directors should have been looking out for duties owed to the creditors my slight caveat to to all this is you can see that there's also an argument to the contrary and directors will naturally be very mindful that they aren't looking out for the interests of the creditors prematurely because you can see a shareholder may take a contrary argument that if the directors are too quick to look out for the interests of the creditors that would put in jeopardy their duty to promote the success of the company. 
And you can see a disgruntled shareholder saying, why on earth did you start paying off these creditors? Why on earth did you um, sort of put the promotion of the company on the back burner at that point in time when the company was was almost back on its feet or was, or was close to getting a, a big deal closed, for example? Yes. Yeah, so, rock and a half place, isn't it? As well? it, is a, it is a cla- it's a classic case of... Um, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But it, it's certainly a, a difficult path for directors to navigate through, um, especially at the moment with with all the financial pressures on on them as a result of obviously world events and, and wide wide implications. Thanks, Matt. That was a much better explanation than I could offer. So um, thank you very much. Um, so do you think the case is having an impact on claims and complaints that you're seeing? Um I mean, I imagine it will if it isn't already. I think it's a case where people, as in uh, the, the market, are keeping a close eye on it in terms of companies coming perhaps up to um, renewal. They're going to, I anticipate, have greater scrutiny as to their financial standing um, because I anticipate insurers will be keeping a close eye on on their financial position. So you may have... Um, perhaps a greater scrutiny in terms of whether the company is facing any financial difficulties uh, around the times of renewal of the policy. And it's certainly in terms of the claims we're we're anticipating seeing, it's going to be an area where litigation is likely to arise, not just on a larger PLC company level, but also in terms of those claims where maybe you have an SME, perhaps a family-run company, where you often have um, family members wearing different hats in terms of whether they're a shareholder and a director and making sure that they're keeping a close eye on what capacity they're acting on in terms of looking out for the interests of primarily the promotion of the company, but also when needed, as as Sequina case noted, the interests of creditors. So as you mentioned, sort of that is rather frighteningly extending the scope of duties for directors to consider implications on creditors before there's even an insolvency, if there is going to be one. Um, But there's been another recent High Court decision which has extended the scope of duty for directors, um, effectively confirming the duty continues after the liquidation. Um, So it doesn't seem like it's a great time to be in the market. This time I won't provide a summary. um, And if it's okay, if you're happy just to give a kind of brief overview of that case, that'd be very helpful. So there's been an interesting High Court decision um, by the name of Mitchell and Al-Jabir. Should come with a health warning that this does relate to a BVI company um, considering BVI laws, but there was no suggestion by the parties that this was any different to English law. And it was considered by our domestic high court um, with reference to English authorities. So now that health warning's out of the way, um, the, the, court, the court in this case had to look at what happens in a situation whereby a director deals with transfers property belonging to the company following the liquidation of the company. And the key issue was to what degree those directors owe fiduciary duty to the company post-liquidation. So it raised quite an interesting decision in terms of what directors are expected to do and what they cannot do once, for example, maybe an insolvency practitioner has been appointed. The court was quite clear that 
there does continue a limited duty of fiduciary stewardship duty. And by that, really, it's it's a restricted duty as compared to when they were acting as directors when the company was, was solvent in terms of they shouldn't be dealing with property of the company once the company has gone into liquidation. And it was made clear that a director can be treated uh, and liable as a constructive trustee if they start misapplying property that belongs to the company after the liquidation. That in itself sounds like a, a pretty obvious decision, one might say, in terms of, of course, if you deal with property after the company's gone into liquidation, then you should be held accountable. But it does it does raise some quite interesting questions in terms of at what point does a director's duty end in terms of this 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 fiduciary duty owed to the company and it appears from some legal updates we've seen that the decision is being appealed up to the court of appeal so there's obviously and permission has been granted so there's obviously sufficient interest for this quite discreet issue to be looked at from an insurance position and dno coverage position i can also see if this was to continue as a an ongoing area of dispute there may be issues on coverage in terms of well first off for example would there be any issues on conduct exclusions post liquidation actions by directors but also in terms of this concept of when a director is acting in a capacity as a director, which often a lot of insuring clauses require for, for DNO. And you can see some arguments arising as to whether they could be said to be acting in a director capacity if post-liquidation they're doing things they, they shouldn't be. So so whether insurers would, would, would take a point on coverage, for example, in, in this situation. So it's quite a discreet point and not as far reaching as the uh, Supreme Court in Sequena, but it, it, it sort of looks, as you say, Ash, right at the beginning at the other side of um, the situation where actions are taken um, post-liquidation by by directors. Yeah, I, mean, I would say all in all, not a particularly great time for directors and officers, um, but it'll be interesting to see the sort of challenge going up to court of appeal. Um, but going to some wine tasting that you and I had recently, um, and indeed sort of... <laughs> very very cool life that we lead um you you mentioned at that wine tasting that you were seeing um or at least the sort of the market was seeing a rise in the number of litigation funders that were bringing claims against directors like i said we we clearly have very cool socials to uh to be talking about this i know we really we really need to get out more don't we? <laughs> say, we get out more and we end up talking about directors and officers this is this is the life we lead now um well when we're not on dad duty now it's clearly we just don't really know how to have a normal conversation um but so so you mentioned we were starting to see a rise is is that the case is that what you're seeing it is and it's it's an area we keep track on in terms of um identifying the number of cases being picked up by litigation funders um, certainly in terms of claims against directors, there are some large players in the litigation funder market who are taking um, a pretty robust, aggressive approach in terms of seeking out claims, um, seeking assignments of claims from insolvency practitioners, and then really taking a, a thorough review perhaps of actions taken by the directors when they were in director capacity, and then maybe looking at some sort of action for wrongful trading, fraudulent trading or, or misfeasance, for example, against directors. 
So the way in which they operate is they appear to be taking quite a select number of cases, but when they are taking those cases forward, it's quite a robust approach that they're taking. And in terms of figures, we've seen updates and re- referring to, to to some resources saying that in the last few years, there's been a near 50% increase in the value of court cases that are going all the way to trial with litigation funders. And just to give you a sense of the size of this market, last year, the UK litigation funders asset as based on companies' house assets on the balance sheets was, was getting up to 2.2 billion, I think. So you can see these operations have significant um, war chests to fund cases that they seem appropriate to to go after. And unfortunately, it's not a case where you're likely to be able to challenge the assignment from an insolvency practitioner to a litigation funder. People have tried and um, on the whole, not succeeded. Um, And that's partly off the back of a court of appeal decision as of last year where an assignment was challenged and the court said it's only going to interfere with the act of a liquidator if they have done something so utterly unreasonable and absurd that no reasonable person would have done it. So I don't know what that unreasonableness would would require. Yeah, they're taking taking tips from farmers. Exactly, but it's a, it's a pretty high bar um, in terms of the likelihood to show that that assignment shouldn't be allowed. So it's a really... If an IP wants to assign a claim, it's a commercial decision for the IP. And if if you're the potential defendant, it's pretty hard to challenge that assignment. I was about to say, yeah, that was that was going to be my next question, saying, well, is there scope for a challenge? But it would definitely seem like there isn't. I told you I was going to be the bearer of bad news. I'm sorry. I'm trying to find some lighthearted ends. I was say, you've delivered, Matt. You're <laughs> consistent. This is, you know, you, you followed through on your words. So that's all we could ask for. <laughs> but no, that's been, um, I mean, it's really interesting for me. It's obviously not an area that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. So um, uh, it's been really insightful for me. So thank you very much for taking uh, myself and listeners through that, Matt. Absolutely. I'll find, I'll find something much more lighthearted next time. Promise. RPC Radio. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you'll join us again next month when we'll be discussing the hot topics in the financial services sector. Please do click to subscribe and be sure to check out our other RPC publications at rpc.co.uk forward slash perspectives. Finally, many thanks to today's guests as well as everyone behind the scenes at RPC that make this podcast possible. Mm-hmm.